Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hi, I'm Alex Merrill. Welcome to the Inspirati. I've enlisted a roster of ultra-talented international creators and curators to join me on this podcast to talk about how they've charted their individual paths, overcome challenges, and found their true artistic selves. From candid conversations with eminent makers to showcasing exciting up-and-comers across the industries of art, music, fashion, entertainment, literature, and design, we get to illuminate our perspectives, learning from these unique stars within the constellation of global creativity. The Inspirati was created for those seeking inspiration and those seeking to inspire. Thanks for listening. This past December, I recorded an episode with one of my best friends, a young designer who in the short time since launching her brand has dressed many a starlet for many a red carpet, from Millie Bobby Brown to Emily Radichkowski, Laura Dern to Lizzo, Priyanka Chopra to Thandie Newton, Lily Collins to Lily James. I edited the episode, was ready to ship it, and I got a text from her that read, hold the episode, trust me. As I found out later, the reason for this text was that my incredible friend Alexandra O'Neill had been contacted by Dr. Jill Biden's team to submit sketches for an outfit for the inauguration. There were other designers in the running, and Allie didn't even know which look would be chosen until the last minute. But when Dr. Biden walked out on January 20th, 2021, I watched in awe with the rest of the world as the first lady wore Markarian, the line my girlfriend started three years ago. For those of you listening who have been separated from your dearest friends by this pandemic, I feel your pain. Ali was my neighbor in Greenwich Village for my last four years in New York. We would meet under the arch at Washington Square Park and take ourselves to dinner. Convinced that our platonic coupledom was more romantic than most relationships, we traveled to six cities in four countries together. And over that time, I have watched her create a made-to-order clothing line that is committed to craft, focused on sustainability, and season after season is ceaselessly celebratory, stunningly romantic, and beautifully made. Ali is also one of the kindest, smartest, most hardworking, gorgeous souls I've encountered, and it has been an honor to watch her soar. This chat felt like one of our long dinners at Indochine or Via Carota, and I hope you enjoy sitting at our table. Dude, you just dressed the first lady for the inauguration of the president of the United States. How are you feeling right now? I, it still feels unreal. I like still can't believe that it happened, but I feel so honored to have been, you know, selected to be supported by the first lady. It's 
completely humbling. It's crazy. And I think what's most exciting was that I was sitting next to all of these other incredible designers as well. So it was just really good company to be in and a total honor. I like, I still can't believe it. I don't really know what you're allowed to talk about. And I don't want Secret Service people showing up at my house, (laughs) but they'd have to come all the way to Canada. It's expensive. Like It's really hard to cross the borders right now. Yeah, they'd have to quarantine. I don't want to put them out like that. But how did this come about? So... Dr. Biden's team and stylist reached out to me in December, and along with a, a few other designers, and they were just looking for like initial ideas and sketches, which we sent in and it kind of just evolved from there. Why do you think Dr. Biden made the decision to support a young designer instead of making maybe more an expected choice? I mean, the, the best thing is that people keep calling me a young designer. <laughs> <laughs> You are a young designer. Flattering thing. It's great. (laughs) It's like getting ID'd at the liquor store. It is. It's the equivalent, and it feels really, really good. So I think I think for Dr. Biden, she was excited to support a female-founded business, a female-founded American business. And I think what was even better was that we're an American business, and we actually make everything in America. We make everything in the heart of New York City's Garment Center. And I think that that was a really nice thing to present the day of the inauguration. How involved was she in the design process? They were very involved. So what was nice is that they did give us a lot of creative liberty. So they were really open to and receptive of any ideas that we had. It was just a nice dialogue that we had back and forth. They were a great team to work with. They were totally lovely, very, you know, respectful and just just a joy to work with. What was your process like? Were you digging into archives of... First Lady history, or did you come at it just with your own perspective, or how did you want to wrap in the legacy of those important outfits into the future? Well, first of all, I wanted to make sure that I made something obviously beautifully made, classic and feminine for Dr. Biden. I think one of the first things that I did was that I did dive into all of the past inauguration outfits. I think it's important to see what other people have worn. And where you're about to fit within history. <laughs> also, Which is so crazy. Pretty unreal. <laughs> pretty unreal. I still kind of don't believe it, like I said. And then I also looked at other world leaders and kind of what they've worn in the past. I, you know, went to another really beautiful blonde woman, Grace Kelly, and kind of drew some inspiration from that. But other than that, I just wanted to make sure that she looked very beautiful, classic. I mean, she is very beautiful, which was a great start. <laughs> something beautiful, classic and feminine for her, but also something that was like strong and that was special and would commemorate what an important day it was. For sure. And you picked such an incredible blue and then added some sparkle to it, which I think, you know, for for those of us who've been hoping for political change in the states, it was so wonderful to have the outfit feel like a celebration as well. Yeah, it felt very uplifting. It was a really beautiful tweed that had, you know, little metallic threads kind of woven throughout it. And then I went and applied some extra sparkle to make it extra special and give it that Mercurian twist. So we had little Swarovski crystals that we kind of dotted the outside of the coat and the dress with. And then I also hand beaded the neckline in a cute little floral pattern with Swarovski pearls and crystals. So stunning. You also dressed some of the family members that evening, right? Yeah, I did. We dressed Natalie and Finnegan Biden in these beautiful little sequin pieces. And that was kind of like the cherry on top of the night, really. It was so fun. 
Were there any other special details you decided on? Any things other people don't necessarily know about, but I get to know about because I'm your friend? Yeah, I mean, actually, I haven't told anybody else this because we were just, you know, keeping it something special and private for Dr. Biden, but we hand embroidered 46 into the inside of her lapel and her coat. That's so lovely. Yeah, it was just a nice little secret touch that we wanted to put in. Yeah. It's not the secret anymore. And, and something to put a little spring in her step as she was walking out the door. Yeah, something that's a little extra special. Amazing. Do you know if the outfit is going to end up in the Smithsonian? I don't know. I'm I'm hopeful. Uh, would yeah. Be, I mean, beyond cool. If, I mean, for as, as an understatement of the year. <laughs> yeah. But we'll, we'll see. I, I haven't heard anything about it yet. But that would be seriously incredible. I love that the rest of us were blown away by the news. And then your grandma Gigi found out and she was like, well, yeah, obviously. (laughs) Obviously she picked you. My number one supporter. Of course she believed it. (laughs) And there was like no doubt in her head. Well, because we also didn't know that she was going to wear it until she walked out that day. Right. So it was even more of a surprise and even more special. But apparently it was a reveal. Gigi was <laughs> Gigi was in on it. She's like, you got this girl. My biggest fan. <laughs> she should be. She is the one that taught me how to sew. <laughs> yeah, totally. She's like, this actually doesn't have anything to do with you. You're just my I protege. But I trained this girl. <laughs> Speaking of which, at this point, I've spent a fair amount of time with your family. I've DJed both of your siblings' weddings, including that after party in Positano or someone I think pulled the plug on us at like six in the morning when I'd gone three hours over. That might have been my fault. That was definitely your fault. I think you started bringing me tequila shots like three hours earlier and I'm like, oh yeah, I'm done now. Yeah. Let's start drinking. I think people nicknamed me the tequila fairy for the night, which actually I'm pretty proud of. (laughs) It wasn't just for the night. That's like consistent, but now it's like... It's stuck. It's stuck. Dresser of first ladies fairy of tequila. They go hand in hand. It's a really good balance. <laughs> but I uh, I don't know a lot about how you grew up. So would love to hear more about that. Well, I mean, we moved to Colorado when I was eight years old. And when we moved there, we moved to the mountains to the middle of nowhere. I think our closest neighbor was a mile away. So we were really, really completely submerged in, in nature. We were surrounded by woods and animals. We had coyotes and mountain lions and deer and elk and wild turkeys and bighorn sheep, really anything you can think of in our backyard all the time. We would go like walk through the woods or roam around the woods and make little forts everywhere. Uh, It was really a a magical way to grow up. And it was so different from how we were living before. We were growing up in a really preppy town in New York. And it just was so different. And it was really refreshing and kind of really allowed our imaginations to, to run wild. And I think that was really helpful in, in becoming creative or, or honing any kind of creative skills that I had. The foothills where we actually grew up were really incredible. The, the elevation was, I think, like 8,000 feet. So we were really, really up there. And the stars were incredible because there were no lights around us. And we just grew up like staring at that sky and it was infinite and endless and We used to stay up and watch shooting stars and these insane lightning storms and meteor showers. And it was a really, really beautiful way to grow up. And and a good way to start your creativity and imagination going. Totally. What were you dreaming about at that point for for your future? 
I mean, I was still so young at that point, but my grandmother, Gigi, who you know very well, (laughs) because you are basically a part of our family at this point. She taught me how to sew when I was little. I come from a family of of seamstresses and tailors, actually. She had this old uh, Singer sewing machine that she taught me how to sew on. And it was something I fell in love with really early on. I started making my own clothing when I was 10. I would go to the local fabric store, Denver Fabrics, and uh, pick up a bunch of fabric and I would spread it out on Gigi's floor and she would help me make whatever I wanted. I never used a pattern. I only did it by draping. I would even take some of my brother's old shirts and cut them up and make things out of them. I used to make all of our friends' Halloween costumes, just anything I could do to create something. I would take the opportunity to do it. And I really, I loved it. And now I've been in the room with three generations of the women in your family all wearing your line, which is so incredible. It really was. I mean, one of the most special things about doing this is that I now make all of Gigi's clothing for her and like a, a nice way to kind of return the favor, I guess. Absolutely. She must feel so glamorous all the time. Does she have the glam jams? She does. She actually has the original glam jams. Really? Yeah, I made her this uh, really beautiful. You saw it at Davy's wedding, actually. This white satin pantsuit. She loves wearing pants. So she's probably the most well-dressed woman this year (laughs) if she's just home in her glam jams. Definitely. So then you decided to move to New York from Colorado for college? Mm-hmm. So I always loved New York. We would come back to New York for any vacation that we had, really, because we still had so much family there or here. I, I really loved New York. I loved the energy of the city whenever we would come into the city. I loved loved how you could find anything you wanted in the city, which was really incredible. Except for an elk. Yeah, except for, except for an elk or, or a coyote. Weird. <laughs> What is this place? Uh, what is this place? There's no nature. Let's go to Central now. Park. <laughs> Just lots of really big rats. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Elk-sized rats. Elk-sized rats, which don't really cut it, unfortunately. <laughs> but it did have so much else to offer, really. A different, a different way of living and a different kind of life. And after growing up in such a, a beautiful and secluded place, it was nice to to be somewhere with so many people and somewhere that was so vibrant and full of life and with so much to do. And you you had a great college experience too, right? I feel like you are still friends with a lot of people from college. Yeah, I did. So I ended up going to NYU and it seemed like it was the right place for me because it was in New York City and I wanted to do fashion. It was really, really the place to be. NYU was an interesting school in the sense that it didn't really feel like it had a, a sense of community or, or a real campus. Because you're just in the middle of the city. You're in the middle of the city. You are living in these dorms that don't really feel like dorms. They're more like apartments. And it just feels like you move to the city and you start your adult life. And school was kind of like a side gig. Side hustle. <laughs> it's really just a side hustle for, for <laughs> real-time hustle. So I started my first clothing line when I was 19. Porter Gray. Exactly. Called Porter Gray. With your sister, Chrissy. Yes. And I was lucky enough that she let me torture her with it. Fashion was really my dream and and not hers. And she helped me actualize that dream, which was pretty pretty incredible for a sister to do. And we did that for for a number of years and we did see some success with it. We used to show at uh, Mercedes-Benz Fashion Week when that still existed and it was all at Bryant Park. And that was something that was really cool. And you were so young. We were so young and it is really such a, such a daunting kind of crazy thing to take on at such a young age. 
And I think after after a bit of time, we both really were were burnt out after having taken that on at such a young age. And we decided to uh, close it down when we really fell out of love with fashion. How many years had you been doing it at that point? I think we'd been doing it for eight years or something like wow. that. It was crazy. And we both decided to take a bit of a break. I knew it wasn't fair to torture Chrissy with it anymore because it wasn't something that she truly loved or felt passionate about. And I just took some time off and kind of was waiting to to see what it was that I wanted to do next and took some time to plan how I wanted to do it, what I wanted to do and how I wanted to kind of distribute it. And I decided I wanted to do something that was really the opposite of what we were doing before. Porter Gray was a contemporary line. So it was much more so about like, not necessarily fashion fashion, we still made everything in New York, but we were making a lot more of it. So I wanted to do something that was really kind of slow and, and customizable and, and made to order. So that's kind of where the whole idea of Mark Harian came about. And that's when we met, you were between lines. I remember, you know, we'd go to drinks and you'd like show me sketches of bags shaped like planets and you were really exploring what you wanted to create next. Yeah. So I really, I initially thought that I wanted to launch a bag line because it was something that I like really had never done before. I knew nothing about it. I didn't know how to do it. And I love learning how to do new things and how to make new crafts and, and things like that. So that was something that was interesting for me. But then I realized that my strength really was in clothing and not in accessories. So I launched clothing first and then launched the bags a year after that. And what was your process? Because were you con- you were obviously conscious of the fact that you wanted to take some downtime, figure out what you wanted to do next, do that in a purposeful way rather than needing to rush into something and feel like you were already on another train. Yeah. What was that process for gathering inspiration? Well, so I started the other line at such a young age. I started like serious business at such a young age. And I really did take advantage of that time off to kind of explore different outlets and what it was that I wanted to do. I had this idea of the handbags that were shaped like planets. And I thought that they were really interesting and really cool. And that's kind of where the idea of the name of Markarian came from. I named Markarian after a particularly radiant grouping of galaxies. And they're very vibrant and full of energy. And they're always producing new star formations. So I thought that was a really cool concept. So I named it after the Markarian galaxies and proceeded to launch with the clothing and then the bags. Do you remember where you found the word Markarian first? Was it a random Google hole or how did you really find that? Google hole. So actually, I knew I was always obsessed with the cosmos and space. I really just thought that the the stars and the galaxies and everything were so fascinating. I I really went into a little bit of a Google hole. I knew of the Markarian galaxies because there's this band called M83 and they're named after one of the Markarian galaxies. I didn't know that. Yeah. Great songs. I know. They do have great songs, really beautiful music. And maybe I felt a little bit of a connection to that. But I found the Markarian galaxies. And like I said, they're a particularly vibrant and bright grouping of galaxies. And it kind of seemed fitting for the type of clothing that I wanted to make. You know, really fun, beautiful, fantastical pieces. And the galaxies also happen to be pretty vigorously active. Like I said, putting out lots of star formations, which is maybe why I felt the need to put out so many collections a year oh at some point. Maybe it was Seriously? inspiration behind that. 
<laughs> I remember we were in Paris together in March 2017, and we were sitting in the lobby of the Ritz Hotel, and you got this text that was like, Vogue's about to call you for an interview because Emma Roberts had worn this beautiful dress before you'd ever really even launched properly, right? Yeah. So we launched the line literally that week, actually. We sent out a launch email and that same week that we were in Paris together, which seems like a lifetime ago, especially now, Emma Roberts wore one of our dresses. It was one of the signature pieces, I guess, from the collection. It was this dress where I designed this custom beading and embroidery that was in the shapes of little moons and Saturns. And it was on this really beautiful, heavy crepe back satin. And that really kind of helped get things moving along as far as people recognizing the line. And then after that, Moda Operandi launched the collection with a trunk show. And that followed with me being in their designer incubator program. And that's really what properly launched us. It was incredible to have their total support behind us. And it was really amazing. And I remember things just exploded from there. I remember being at like a party at the Whitney Museum and looking around and everyone was in Markarian. There were like 12 girls wearing your dresses. It was so cool. And even for that party, we designed something custom for um, Ashley Graham. And it was amazing working with her. She is such a beautiful, beautiful human being. And she's so much fun to be around. Incredible. So that was very, that was a very cool moment. Yeah, totally. And at that point, you were, you were doing what, six collections a year? You're doing six collections a year, including two bridal collections. And it was great because I love making and creating new things. And that's just kind of how I operate and how I work. But I guess you just kind of get into a rhythm and you don't even realize it while you're in it, how crazy it is and how much you're working and how much you're putting out there. And it just felt like we were, I guess, constantly playing catch up instead of having like a proper plan. And we were just like doing things to get them out before we needed to start the next thing. Right. Eventually we just like folded bridal into each collection so we could take a bit of a break. And that worked out really well for us. (laughs) Yeah. Well, how do you even begin to source ideas and inspiration when you're turning out that many collections a year? I mean, a lot and a lot of it gets blurred together, but you know, as a designer, I think you do have so many ideas that you really can constantly put something out. It's just the quality versus quantity of what you're putting out right. there, I suppose. Yeah. But I mean, personally, I find inspiration and in, in everything from traveling, from nature. I know films have provided amazing source material for you too. Uh, I love old movies. The So when I first moved to the city, my grandfather would work in the city during the week and every Wednesday night, Chrissy and I would go um, over to his apartment and we'd have dinner and watch a movie. And his favorite station was TCM, Turner Classic Movies. And we would watch an old movie. He had a thing for Grace Kelly. So we watched every single Grace Kelly movie there was. Wow. What a great style icon to start learning about for fashion. No kidding. So I took a lot of inspiration from these old Hollywood movies, To Catch a Thief and High Society are two of my favorites with Grace Kelly. And I mean, Audrey Hepburn is incredible. Roman Holiday and Sabrina, the iconic dress in Sabrina is so beautiful. I think Edith Head was the costume designer for all of those movies. And she was so talented. I think she won like, what, eight Oscars for her work over her career. She really just made the most beautiful things. Yeah. And then there's, there's like Greta Garbo and Mata Hari. Have you ever seen that movie? No, I haven't. 
the costume design i think adrian did the costume design for that and it's just so good i'm writing that down for binge watching classics when i need yeah. when i need to do that next it's really really beautiful do you think that's what what kind of kickstarted your love of vintage cuz we've been to many a manhattan vintage fair and parisian flea market <laughs> together <laughs> Sorry about that. (laughs) (laughs) No, I'm very happy. Very happy to accompany. Yeah, I mean, I have always loved old things because they just used to make things differently, whether it's clothing or furniture or whatever. They just put so much time and effort into each piece and each piece was made to last. This idea of like excessive volume didn't exist then because that's just not how people worked. So when you bought something, you really invested in it and you were going to have it for a long time. And that's what I really like about vintage fashion and and antiques. I think that the craftsmanship that goes into it is really incredible. And if you look at the inside of, of vintage clothing, the structure in it and everything that's built into it just doesn't exist really like that anymore. And I think that's why when I launched Mercarian, I launched it in the way that I did where all of the pieces are made to order. Everything is supposed to be customizable. So I wanted to offer a service to women that isn't really widely available to them in the way that it is to men. Like men can go to a shop and have a bespoke suit made and that's just kind of what they do and how they do it. And that's not really something that is offered for women. So that's that's really what I wanted to do is have this like beautiful bespoke business where you could come in, get something that was special and made just for you and really invest in it and have it for a long time. Right. And that's why it was so important to have your manufacturing local, I guess. Exactly. So I make everything in the city or as much as I can. We do sweaters in LA, but I really do believe in supporting the garment center. It used to be so prolific. Everybody would make their samples there and their production, do their production there. And I think at one point, like 95% of the clothing in New York was made in New York City and is down to less than 5% now. Wow. Yeah. So it's disappearing really, really quickly. So I really believe strongly and supporting it as much as we can. Yeah. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds. And they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to Quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, 
fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable, too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Our mutual friend, Kelly, who is also in fashion, was doing a course on sustainability last year, Mm -hmm. hoping to incorporate some new business practices into the brand she works for. And she, I remember, quickly realized how out of control the entire situation is. Clothing production has apparently doubled in the past 15 years, which is insane. Mm -hmm. And obviously, that's not based on an increase in population. It's just this rampant public desire for new things all the time. And just the volume of things. Part of it is probably social media because everyone's taking photos of their outfit and feeling like they have to turn out something new every time they get dressed. It's so true. But I was thinking about the impact when it comes to waste and fast fashion, not necessarily the best for the environment or for craft? Definitely not. When I launched Markarian, I wanted it to feel very old world in the sense of it being very much so slow fashion. And it really turned out to be something that our clients were really interested in, especially for bridal, because they knew that no one else would have the same piece in a world like you were saying with Instagram, where imagery is so prolific and easily distributed and seen. It's nice to know that you're wearing something that just you know, you have and that's just for you and that nobody else will have. And every season we increase our efforts of sustainability. The fact that we make everything locally is a huge help in that. You can keep track of everything really easily. Track everything. We know exactly who's making the pieces. We have such a close relationship with our factories. I've been working with this one factory for 15 years now. Since Porter Gray? Yeah. Wow. We're in there every single day. We know, like I said, exactly who's making each piece and in the conditions in which they're making them. And we can feel really good about that. That's really great. And then you're also really helping the craft community in France as well. We've been in Paris during that fabric show. Yeah. So there's this big uh, fabric show twice a year where I go and I find most of our fabrics and people come from all over the world to, to showcase what they have. And it's one of my favorite things to do. It's like aisles and aisles and football fields worth of of fabric swatches and fabric. And I think it's most people's nightmares, but it's my dream. There's this one uh, lace company that we work with and they have this lace that they do in France and it's produced in looms that are 150 years old. I think there are only three of them left in existence. And it's just a really slow, beautiful process. This loom is a vertical loom. So it goes like 15 to 20 feet up and they have to build a special factory around it in order to house it. And people undergo these apprenticeships for years in order to be able to operate this loom and to hand finish this fabric. And it's this craftsmanship that really does not exist anymore. And that's dying out so quickly. I guess one of the factories that had the loom was closing down and they were going to have to get rid of it. And miraculously, another one of the factories, I think it's the last one, bought it up and they ended up restoring these machines. It took three years to restore them and they saved this loom. But like this fabric is so beautiful and so intricate that it takes four to six months just to create it. Wow. And that's lace? And it's lace. Mm-hmm. That's incredible. So I bet. As you know, my my mom is a tapestry weaver mm-hmm. and she studied at 
Aubusson in France, which has been one of the primary centers for tapestry since the 17th and 18th centuries. And then it had this big revival during the 1930s because all these modern, at the time, artists like Matisse and Brock and Picasso and Miro, Man Ray, made cartoons or designs that were turned into tapestries there. Mm-hmm. The patron commissioning them was this fascinating woman called uh, Marie Cattoli. But I'm watching my mom every day because I'm staying with her right now at her loom, putting what will eventually be two years at least into a singular work. And I'm so blown away because I can't imagine people from our generation making things at that pace. We're just way too impatient. It just doesn't exist. (laughs) Exactly. But in the meantime, so many forms of traditional craft are being lost in the process. So we do what we can to help support that. I mean, I think we've really lost sight, our generation and and future generations of, you know, that kind of craftsmanship and personalization. And it's just something that I really want to bring or help bring back to people our age. Yeah, absolutely. And obviously not everyone can necessarily afford brands like yours, but we can all be a bit more mindful of our consumption. Exactly. And, and make sure we actually know who we're buying from and, and educate ourselves about what their processes are like. Yeah. And to feel good about the things that you're buying. And I think it is worth investing in some of these pieces that you know you'll have for a really long time instead of buying like a hundred small things, just buy one really nice, beautifully made piece. Yeah, absolutely. And you were saying one time you were telling me that you take the scraps and turn them into other things as well. So you're focused on sustainability that way too. Yeah. So basically any scraps of fabric that we have, we either turn into accessories, pouches or scrunchies or hair bows. And if the scraps are too small, then we recycle them with this fabric recycling place and they can turn those into new garments. That's so great. What was the process for for launching Bridal like? I'd imagine it can be a bit emotionally charged. (laughs) (laughs) As somebody who's so single, (laughs) I guess it could be. I didn't mean for you. I just meant like having DJed for so many brides. It can be like a very, very emotional moment when this is your day and you have to, you want to look a certain way. And there's so much emotion built into that one day of dressing. So we've been so lucky with our brides. We've worked with really, really amazing girls who have been total dream clients. So I haven't really had a nightmare bride yet. (laughs) No bridezillas for us. Wonderful. Hopefully we don't attract those types of situations. I mean, we'll just see. But bridal really felt like a natural progression for us. We had so many of our clients that were asking to make our ready-to-wear pieces in bridal fabrics and bridal silhouettes. And it just seemed like it made sense at the time when we launched it. And it's been, it's been, we've been doing great with it. It's been doing really well for us. Amazing. And so you sometimes have whole families in, I'd assume, to your atelier. We do. We definitely do. We had one whole family in with all the daughters and the mom and the mother-in-law until like nine o'clock at night once. And it's just a fun process being able to work so closely with these clients and to, to make something for them on this really, really special day. I mean... It's just, it's like an honor. There's so many different people that these girls can go to, to, to choose a, a dress. And it's an honor when they choose your one piece. It's just, it's really cool. <laughs> I feel like you're the perfect person for that too, because you're such a pillar of calm and strength in our friend group. <laughs> and I also love that you like make 
party dresses for a living, but are such a homebody, which I think is such a funny combination. Like you grew figs in Manhattan on your balcony. Like who grows figs in New York? <laughs> Apparently I do. <laughs> I mean, I, I love people and I love working with people and I'm a huge family person. So it's nice being able to work with people's families as well and to to kind of see their connection with their families. So that's been a fun part of this whole process. Yeah. And so obviously this year must have really changed things with the in-person nature of what you do. Yeah, it's been really crazy. Luckily, once things started opening up again, we were able to take clients into the showroom in a very, very limited capacity with lots of restrictions, but we were still able to have a fair amount of people in safely and to uh, create some bridal dresses for them during such an insane time. We had so many girls in that had planned these huge weddings and all of a sudden we're like, we can't do this. Like not only is it irresponsible, it's dangerous. Yeah, They ended up just doing backyard ceremonies or Zoom ceremonies or just ceremonies with their parents, just something really small, just so they could get married and still have something special for their wedding day. That's so special that you were able to be a part of that. Yeah, it's a crazy, it's a crazy time. I mean, you know, you're doing something really similar with DJing and DJing people's weddings and these parties. And it's just been, it's been a crazy year. Yeah. I feel like this was the first year that we both realized that we're somehow in the same industry. We're like, we're both in the industry of parties, essentially. And all parties have been canceled this year. I mean, I do strictly occasion wear. Right. And no occasions happening. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. But you you also, you'd already launched Knits, right? But this was just a heavier focus this year? Yeah, so we launched Knits for the season, luckily. So that's been really good for us. And we'll continue to develop our knitwear over uh, next fall. But the exciting thing about that is we found this really incredible sustainable yarn. And it's made out of all recycled cashmere. And we also found a mohair that is a sustainable mohair that's uh, coming from South Africa. And we know that all of the animals are treated nicely and ecologically it's it's good. So happy goats. That's something we're excited to to kind of build out and to go deeper into. Yeah. And and also you launched jewelry, which is I'm so excited about because I love gigantic earrings and the ones you made are so beautiful. Yeah. It's uh something that I've been wanting to do for a while. I When the pandemic hit, everything really screeched to a halt. And there was really nothing that you could do and nowhere to do it. And it's obviously such a devastating time and something that everybody's going through right now. But one of the blessings, I guess, that's come out of it has been that it's forced people to kind of rethink the way they're doing things, whether that means how they're making things, where they're making them, the volume, like we were speaking about before, that they're making. And to really ask themselves, is all of this necessary? So it's, it was nice to kind of be forced to stop and to rethink how things are happening and, and what you're doing. So that kind of allowed us to, you know, pivot and to focus on direct consumer and to build out our relationships with clients and to build out an entire new jewelry collection because why sit still for two seconds? <laughs> Exactly. I also took up hand embroidery and needle pointing. Right. You were doing you were doing hand embroidery on those beautiful sweatshirts. Yeah. Something cozy where people could feel special. It's, you know, just all of these handicrafts that people don't really do anymore is clearly something that I'm gonna just dive right into. <laughs> Everybody's doing a needle pointed pillow for Christmas. <laughs> 
<laughs> you heard it here first. You get a needle pointed pillow. You get a needle pointed pillow. <laughs> <laughs> oh, people are going to hate me. <laughs> no, no. I'm so happy that someone is bringing craft back other than my mother. <laughs> It really is truly amazing what your mother does. It's so cool. She's really special. I love the whole idea of like art restoration and that restoration process. But even if you apply that to like clothing these days, most people, when something rips or breaks or whatever, just toss it instead of the time to, to actually fix it and restore it, which is so easy to do. And that's why I think when you're putting work out there that is something that people want to invest in, they're going to really take care of it and hopefully keep it for a really long time. Yeah. And to be able to do that and to want to restore it and keep it, keep it in good condition. There's this ceramics, this way of doing ceramics in Japan, where if a piece breaks, they fill the cracks with gold. It's called kintsugi, I think. And it's all about how the cracks and accidents can actually add so much beauty if they're handled properly. And I think about that in terms of so many other industries and how disposable everything is, but really with a bit of love and attention, things can stay really beautiful for multiple generations. Yeah. Well, that's what I love so much about like hand embroidery and hand finishing things and hand doing things is that it's the imperfections in them that make them special and human and in the end, really beautiful. Absolutely. So what does the future look like since you're not living in the city? You're kind of, where are you thinking of, of being next? And how are you thinking of growing Markarian over the next couple of years? Well, I think that everybody's kind of playing things by ear right now and kind of pivoting with whatever is thrown at them <laughs> or reacting to whatever is thrown at them. So we'll just kind of have to see. I would love the opportunity to to bring what we do overseas, I think it's a service that would do really well over there. And, you know, to personally do that and oversee, I think would be super cool. So that's, that's a hope for the future. And, you know, just consistently organically growing the brand, jewelry, shoes, handbags, who knows? Are you still doing the planet bags? We are still doing them. We haven't made them in a while, but I was actually thinking about redoing them in different colors uh, for next season. So we'll see. It's nice to have a reminder. I feel like sometimes when we focus on the cosmos, you kind of remember that everything crazy that's happening is a cyclical thing that has happened at some point before. And we're all just kind of making do with the moment we're in as well as we can. And sometimes if you look down at your bag and it's a planet, I feel like it adds a little bit of excitement about being a part of this big, crazy world. Yeah. I mean, that's one of the things that I love so much about the stars is that there's this feeling of everything being cosmically connected and just kind of meant to be. And I mean, I think we've established the fact that I'm a total romantic. So (laughs) it's something that's really appealing to me. I'm so grateful for having that in my life. (laughs) Me too. Well, congratulations on now very much being a part of American fashion history. It's such an incredible thing to have seen you grow from the very beginning. And I'm just like beyond proud. Thank you. It's been a true honor. And I know I keep saying this, but it does feel truly humbling to have been chosen to be a part of this, you know, momentous day and a part of history. I still can't believe that we've said that out loud. I like can't believe that that statement exists in like (laughs) our our realm. (laughs) I know I'm somewhere between you and completely in like 
proud disbelief and somewhere with also with Gigi being like, well, yeah, duh, like best woman for the job. (laughs) Thank you so much. I really, really appreciate you doing this. You're very welcome. Thanks for having me on. I'm so excited for you. It's such a cool thing. And that, beautiful people, concludes this episode of The Inspirati. I hope you picked up some inspiration to take into your day. Please rate, review, subscribe, and leave a comment if you're enjoying these conversations. You can follow The Inspirati on Instagram or find me at alex.merrill. Stay inspired and keep creating. The world needs it more than ever. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.